0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you.
1: We have been coming to New York for what? Eight, nine years, and this is the first time you're actually going to this theater.
0: I think we've pretty much been to every other Broadway theater, and now we're finally venturing to this beautiful one. And
1: I'm surprised I haven't had this venture here. I mean, I sang a song about its garage and guys and dolls.
0: What are you talking about?
1: The Biltmore Garage. The theater used to be called the Biltmore Theater.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yes, okay, now I'm there.
1: Yes, but now it's simply known as the Friedman, the Samuel J. Friedman Theater. I'm so excited to see the inside.
0: I'm so excited to see a new play by Harvey Fierstein.
1: Okay, that's also a huge plus. Quick, let's get a picture and then head inside.
0: Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez.
1: Today we're going to be discussing the fabulous show, Casa Valentina.
0: So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Looking for a getaway where you can just let your hair down and maybe try on your latest outfit for the other ladies? Well, then we got a show for you. Because today we are visiting the best hideaway in the mountains, Casa Valentina.
0: This amazing show about an early movement, event, and issue in the LGBTQ plus history was written up as one of the best plays of the season.
1: But before we can join the others, we have to first primp and powder with the groundwork.
0: The play was suggested by the book Casa Susana, written by Michael Hurst and Robert Swope which collected photographs from a cross-dressing resort of the same name.
1: For this show, the design team was as followed. Playwright Harvey Firestein, director Joe Mantello, scenic design Scott Pask, costume design Rita Ryack, lighting design Justin Townsend, original music and sound design Fitz Patton, hair, wig, and makeup design Jason Hayes,
0: the show arrived at MTC's Samuel J. Friedman Theater on April 23rd, 2014, where it played for 79 performances, closing on June 29th, 2014.
1: The show would be nominated for four Tony Awards that season.
0: So, let's pay a visit to our little hideaway. In 1962, most men went to the Catskill Mountains to escape the summer heat, but others took the two-hour drive to escape something else entirely, being men.
1: Nestled in the land of dirty dancing and borscht belt comedies sat an inconspicuous bungalow colony that catered to a very special clientele, heterosexual men whose favorite pastime was dressing and acting as women.
0: It was a paradise for these men, white collared professionals with families, to spend their weekends discreetly and safely inhabiting their chosen female alter egos.
1: But when they got the opportunity to share their secret lives with the world, these self made women had to decide whether the freedom they would gain by emerging from hiding was worth the risk of personal ruin.
0: The, the end. end.
1: So now let's discuss the parts of the show that we liked and maybe we didn't like or what have you. But before that, I want to I wanna just backtrack and say I know there wasn't much meat to the synopsis. It was very brief. It was almost like a playbill synopsis. But here's the thing. I encourage you to buy this play and read this play in depth. And hopefully maybe we'll do it as part of our scripted series for our patrons maybe. Um... Because, I mean, it was. I hope you did a great job with a synopsis. That is exactly what it's about without going into too much detail. But I think the power of the show is in the detail. And, and I don't want to take away the power of the show by, you know, giving away each little detail. Let the audience still be mesmerized by it or the reader, you know, depending which one gets first dibs, I guess, at it, you know? <laughs> um, but this was a really, really great show. I really, really enjoyed it. In fact, like, as this show came up on our schedule, I got really excited about it because the only, initially the only reason why I wanted to go see it was Harvey Fierstein wrote the, the play. Um, I know that in the, um, the, the opening scene we talked about going to the Friedman Theater, and that was like a bonus because I was like, hey, we've never been here. But I wanted to go see a work by Harvey Fierstein. I feel like he can do no wrong. Um, and I, I, again, I think he didn't do any wrong here. It it was a gorgeous play. I had no idea what we, what we were in for. Um, and I had no idea about this world, about this story. And I was mesmerized by it. Um, this, in all my naivete, is that the right word I'm looking for? Yeah, I think so. Ignorance, naivete. Naivete. It, it, in my at this point in my life is where I really started to learn more about LGBTQ plus history like the the door was cracked as I emerged from high school back in 2000 mm-hmm. um, and it started to get a little wider I'd say probably about 2009 2010 but it really swung open 2012 13 14. And I started and and a lot of that came from theater. And I started learning a lot about things that have happened, good and bad, mostly unfortunately bad, the oppression of of these people and these ideas. And I went, Wow, I didn't realize like what a struggle in the past it had been. I only knew like Cliff Notes version And, and when you start to dig in deep in it, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, so I'm so glad these stories are being told and and we're being put in the forefront. Um, I didn't... Like I said, I didn't know about this event or the organization an issue. Because there is an organization within this show um, that that's kind of put front and center and that causes that riff. You know, that want, this organization that wants to go public about these, like a sisterhood, like a sorority. Mm-hmm. And that's where that real riff comes up where they're like, can't we just keep doing the same old, same old? Can't we just keep going on with the way things are?
0: Well, and I really think that it's a... Um, it's an interesting story that captures how gender identity and gender performance are separate than sexuality. Oh my gosh, yes! And I think that we hadn't really had a play that had discussed that part of the LGBTQ plus um, experience yet. Yes. And um, I think, so that was something that I really enjoyed about the show. Plus, um, it really just kind of gave this perspective that there were also men who were, you know, um, gay and non-binary and, um, you know, I guess LGBTQ plus, you know, uh, identifying within these boxes because essentially you have this group of men who identify as straight but like to dress and act as women every once in a while
1: herbert hoover no i'm kidding
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you know um and then within that we find out that the judge actually Mm -hmm. does identify as loving men yes you know and it's possible because Here's the thing that I think that it's important for our readers to or listeners to understand is that something that we've been working on for the last decade or two is how to have proper verbiage for the gender side of humanity. You know, how do we how do we find words and terms to um help vocalize what is happening there because for the longest time you basically had heteronormative, you know, people and then other, (laughs) you either one or the other. There was not this understanding that you can be multiple things within one setting, or at least there wasn't this verbiage to be able to discuss about it because we didn't have, you know, the understanding of being transgender, versus gender fluid, versus non-binary, versus even just understanding that we could call it identifying,
1: mm-hmm. you know.
0: And so um, I think this play does a really good job of helping us understand where the breakdown of the boxes started to occur in society. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. No, no, That may, I, I love all of that. I also would say, I mean... When at the time when this play takes place, um, let me backtrack my thought. It hasn't been until re- honestly recently, in the last twenty years, that it has been very acceptable socially to be out and proud. And even now, it's still a little, mm, you know, um, y- you know, y- you could be fired from your job, you could lose your house, um, this, that, and the other. Sadly, that's still the case in some places, uh, even here in the States. Um, When the real, like, kind of gay pride movement in the U.S. took off in the 90s, hardcore 90s, you know, just like, hey, we're here. Um, Think about it. This was, this is based in what, the the 50s, 60s, if I'm thinking right? The 60s.
0: Yeah, early 60s. This is
1: 30 years before all that's going to happen. These... If anything, if if any whisper of this came out, not only are they ostracized, I mean, they are social outcasts and then some.
0: You could be jailed.
1: You could be murdered. And nobody would care.
0: Well, and that's what, Mm. so the thing that fascinates me about LGBTQ plus um, history is that it's always existed, but it had to live in the subtext. Right. Of history, and right. so the best way we can communicate past events is to write them now. Right, and so that's what I love about what Harvey Firestein Fier- Firestein. Oh my gosh, um, what Harvey Firestein has done with so much of his work. Yes, um, is trying to catalog and write down the historical experience yes. of being LGBTQ+. Because it's not new. and that's, It's and that, not the, new. This is
1: what I loved about it because I'm like, this only adds to stories like Fun Home. You know, this idea of, you know, this is a man who had a family, had a wife and kids, but he had, I mean, he was gay. He had a lover from the minute he even, when he met his wife, you know, mm-hmm. or e- even, even take out stories going to the real world, Cole Porter. Cole Porter had a white marriage. He had a wife, but he was... Flaming homosexual, but his wife knew that, and it was an arrangement. It it was it was so taboo; it was dangerous to be in that, to delve in that world. You know, it wasn't necessarily seen as brave yet. Mm -hmm. It was seen as something wrong with you, still, which is so sad and unfortunate. And in this play, it was showing how how vulnerable and trusting these individuals were. And like you said, everyone is on different levels. Some of these men really just, I just want to dress up and, and, and be in women's clothes and just have a good time. Some of them were like, I, I do like men, but I, I want to be female presenting. Some of them were, they're just like, I feel like I should be a woman. There were, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, was it, was... All, it was all on the spectrum of that. But at the end of the day they just wanted to exist in a safe place where they wouldn't be judged mm-hmm. and that's what was created in this little box now where the wrench got thrown in is when that uh, i can't think of her name the character that comes from california that's got like the sorority that they're like we're mm-hmm. going to go national and we're going to fight for equal rights and because at the time it was illegal if you didn't have more than a certain number of garments of your assigned gender on. yeah And they were like, we're going to fight this, and we're going to do that. And all of a sudden, they're like, I don't know that I want to support this.
0: Well, and something that I find very interesting about that, um, because not only are... It goes to show that people try to create these communities, right? But then the moment someone feels threatened, that's when hate seeps in and anger and that's when people get ostracized because even within this little group you had this group of men who they all supported each other but then the moment you have this outsider coming in saying hey we want to do this that's where you saw people who were either struggling or people who are like no 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 I'm not like you because I don't want to be public I want to be private and started to push people's boundaries and start to make them feel shame they messed
1: with the status quo
0: yes and so they and well and it all comes down to not only like that shame but also security because you had some of these guys who like no i like i like living in the shadows and you have these other people who are like i don't want to live in the shadows and then you have these other people who are like i have to live in the shadows to survive Mm-hmm. Um, and so really this play just does a beautiful job of understanding the spectrum of gender identity.
1: And I want to tag on about what you said about um, the, the, the different, like the, the, the characters, how they came from di- different walks of life or different... I don't know exactly how to how to say what I wanted to say, but what I'm trying to tie my thought to is is the actors. A lot of my favorite actors were in this show and seeing them essentially get in drag. Mm-hmm. I was like, Wow! Like, oh my gosh. This is incredible. Because I would say several of these actors, in my mind, I'm like this i I see you as a very strong male presenting actor or character. like this is definitely not anything that I would imagine. and that for me was a a really big risk for them and a big step as an actor. But I also think an important thing to say mm-hmm. you know I come off as a a a hard, rough judge from the from a small town, and yet I just want to put on a dress and be pretty, mm-hmm. you know. That kind of character, or in the same tone, I'm a happily married man, and I can take care of the house and everything, I'm just a rugged woodsman, but I can put on the dress and beat my face and I can beat someone else's face to the gods. You know, it was like huh. It really took what it, 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 it made me kind of, I don't know, not sit in the shame chair, but go wow, maybe I shouldn't go for those stereotypes kind right. of thing. Like, just because someone always is that strong male-presenting kind of actor doesn't mean they can't play. And even maybe they, that person doesn't possess those characteristics is a more important message I felt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you shouldn't judge someone based on just their outward appearance. There might be more to them.
0: Right, and I think... We're getting a little into what we got out of the show, which is our personal experiences. So let's go into our boxes and pick apart the show and then jump back into this thought, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, okay. So let's start the set. I thought it was beautiful, very well detailed that home was so beautiful, so beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: I've you know, I've never seen a bad set
1: done by MTC,
0: never. And, it, the nice thing is, is it really does have, the, I mean, it has that high quality polished feel to it, but always matches the world in which they're trying to create.
1: Right. I loved how we could see all the floors of the house and all the rooms. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was just, so I believe, if memory serves me right, I'm getting old, kiddos. It was two floors. But then they also had, they showed, like, the attic, but nobody ever went up, like, to the third floor. But it was two floors, and then there were three rooms on the second mm-hmm. floor, and then they had the three rooms on the bottom, plus, like, the gazebo.
0: Right, like, the patio area. Uh-huh. Um, what I really liked about it is um, it definitely set the tone for the time period very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was late 50s, early 60s architecture.
1: And the set dressing, too. All mm-hmm. the furniture and knick-knacks mm-hmm. and doodads.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> I also like that the set felt very... It just felt huge, but secluded still.
0: Yeah, I definitely felt like we were in this big, gorgeous cabin that was secluded in the woods, so that we had... Almost like a dollhouse. Yes. You know, these, these men were playing in this dollhouse. And that's kind of what the experience was. Yeah, and...
1: And I love that you say dollhouse, because that is a perfect description of... I mean, I'm even thinking of, like, the roof and everything. That is a beautiful description. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to go on to the costumes then. I love these costumes. Those dresses alone were so beautiful. I, I love me a good swing dress. And there were so many varieties of dresses as a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you had, like, the judge's dress was... Uh, a little bit more, it looked more like a, a honestly, like a late 40s fitted mm-hmm. dress. I remember, I can't, I need to find the character names. Um, but the bigger actor, who I was a huge fan of, had like that 1950s, n- not poodle skirt, dress. swing dress. Yes, yes, yes. You know, that came out. The newer character had like a wrap kind of dress. The visiting person also had like a swing dress. Mm hmm. Um,
0: well, and I think it's important to understand that during this time period, you could actually be a little bit more discreet about getting clothing that was matched to your body type, um, because basically you had like these Sears catalogs mm-hmm. where you'd send in your measurements and tell them I want this one, and then they'd send you the but dress. Remember
1: catalog ordering, right?
0: <laughs> but so you know, you could you you didn't have to go to the store to buy a dress or send your wife to go buy you a dress. You, this is really where you could get that ex- exploration a lot better because there wasn't as many taboo things attached to ordering something because, you know, you send it out, it comes in a package, nobody needs to know what's in that package.
1: So I just want to clarify a couple of things so we can speak intelligently now. <laughs> um, we have um, Charlotte, who is the visitor from out of town, that kind of stirs things up. Then we had Terry, who's a regular. Bessie, who was the bigger girl that I loved. Mm -hmm. Regular. Um, Gloria, who's the young and I'm hot regular. The Judge, who's also known as Amy. Valentina, who was obviously the owner. Then we had Jonathan, who turns into Miranda, the newcomer.
0: And that's basically, he's the newest person to join the group and they're like, hey, we're going to help you find your person. Right. We're going to help you find your alter ego.
1: Right. And then um, you know, so there's these seven men that become women and then uh, there's two women in the entire cast which are Eleanor, the judge's daughter, and then Rita who is Valentina's wife.
0: Right. And it also is it plays an interesting role on how these women um, supported their they're the men in their lives because you had well.
1: Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say only one of those women supported. But um, shifting back to the costumes because now that we can speak intelligently, because this is where it's gonna go. So, Bessie, I love Bessie's dress, that swing dress. I loved um, that Miranda came with more of a wrap dress. Obviously, um, Gloria, the I'm here, I'm fierce, I'm fabulous, had a really tight dress. Terry had a gorgeous, that was the one I'm pretty sure was in the polka dot, Mm
0: -hmm. really
1: beautiful with the cat eyes, Mm -hmm. um, glasses, glasses. The judge had a really beautiful, classy dress and then did this whole monologue about petticoats. Mm
0: -hmm. Or,
1: no, no, was it petticoat? Uh, Because he was like, do you remember being, I think it was petticoat?
0: I feel like it's pantyhose. No, no, it
1: was petticoat and then being moved to long pants as a child. Oh, okay. I think it was petticoat. I don't think that... I'm pretty sure it was petticoat. And then he said, I would find mine, and I'd put it on. Because I used to put him in that as punishment. Mm-hmm. I have to find the clip. and But it was fascinating. And then Valentina was in this gorgeous, like... It, it showed the hip. Mod silhouette. Yeah. and it And it was just cut off at the shoulder. It was really beautiful. So all of these dresses... All of these characters were in these beautiful dresses, but then what I found interesting is, you know, the only other woman that was there, um, which would be um, Valentina's wife Rita, was in pants. hmm
0: So everybody essentially was in drag. Right. Well, and um, the important thing to understand also with what's happening here when we say drag is there the the men weren't. Padding out to give them female silhouettes. They were just using the clothing. Yes, 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 yes. they weren't beating their face in the type of drag that we know it to be now. Yes. Where we have the accentuated facial structure. It was a very natural look. They wanted to... Well, and even with the hair, too. They wanted to present as everyday women.
1: Yes. It was not going for... I don't want to say eccentric. It wasn't going for... Theatrical, I guess.
0: Well, it wasn't going for an elevated style of yes of female performance. It was very much a everyday modern look. that The idea was, if we were out in public, we would pass as women.
1: Yes, yes, impersonation.
0: Impersonation, impersonation rather than and drag. Exactly, yes. rather than like this drag as the art form that we know it to be. Yes, that that's um, which a better is, term to which use. Which is why they got into. A conversation about the use of the word uh, transvestite, um, which I think is a very interesting way to talk about this because it's a word we don't use anymore because it has so much negative connotation. But these, these people very much... Transgender didn't exist because we didn't describe things as sex and gender. It was just...
1: The term didn't exist. Yes, we should this, say the term.
0: Di- the term didn't exist, and so they used transvestite to really just mean it was different than a drag queen because they knew they had drag queens. A
1: transvestite is is someone who dresses up as the opposite sex.
0: And it and it was not this elevated art form. It was you
1: didn't do a, it. You didn't you didn't do it to poke fun at,
0: or not even to poke fun at, or to just create a persona. It was to, it was to create a everyday persona not necessarily a performance persona. and I Yes, think it wasn't in the
1: name of art.
0: Yeah, and so I think that's the important thing to make different um, with the way that these costumes were done.
1: Yes. Um, so, I mean, like I said, the dresses were great. I want to add on to your field of, of expertise, which is the wigs. I thought the wigs were fantastic. I really did. I love the silhouettes created. Um, the majority of them, I remember being... The, the silhouette being this, like, do you remember Dee Dee Pickles? Yes. Okay, so like the three, mm-hmm. that's the silhouette I remember most of them having. No. So, um, forgive the, tr- the truck honking, by the way. I just remember, and, and, and I'm not saying like the big outstretched, like, Third prong, but I remember like they had this quaff on top, but then they had like side bun almost. The silhouette.
0: So it definitely was very indicative of the nineteen sixties. Yes. Which was this beehive quaffed. Yes. Look, that wasn't quite like tall beehive. It was more the... except for
1: Bessie. Bessie had a had an actual beehive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But everybody but it, else it had def- that.
0: Yeah. So in the six in the sixties, we had this um this hair dressing style that was very large and performative to begin with, mm-hmm. um, where it was a sign of being, um, in an upper middle class that you could afford to go and get your hair done and have it set. So these styles started to be things that you couldn't necessarily do on your own at home, or if you did, you'd have to like set it and almost like a helmet rock feel to it. So it was very coiffed, polished and large.
1: Right, the I think the silhouette that I'm trying to think of and describe is you know in Hidden Figures, mm-hmm. the the main character in that that I can't think of. That's the silhouette that I'm thinking yeah, of,
0: Catherine. Yes, yeah,
1: Catherine. Yes, that that's the one I'm going for. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: So it was the it was the Jackie O. Yes, yes, but, but not the swooped Jackie no. O. No, yes, yeah. The theme and variation.
1: Yes. So and and I thought that was so great. And, and, of course, like I said, except for Bessie that had the beehive. Um, but they all, it, it just, it looked like such a lovely party, you know, with all of that. And I just love the attention to detail for all of the that, that time period. And one thing that I appreciate, and tell me if I'm using the term right, under, so I guess the swing dresses, are they petticoats that are? Yes. So the petticoats that are underneath, I appreciated that, so it gave it that, that shape, that form. Um, that poof, um, which was really fantastic.
0: Well, and everything was just true to silhouette, which was nice. Yes, and 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 I like what you said that they weren't
1: going for. They were going for female impersonation without padding because they didn't. They didn't. They didn't have the padding like the shape exactly down. You know, there was some padding, you know, in the chest, and maybe a little bit in the rear, but not by much.
0: It would have been the same thing that their wives would have done. Exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't extended beyond that. Right.
1: So they, I mean, honestly, you just looked at them and it was just kind of like, Oh, you are, you're a woman, but you're not like a form necessarily woman. If that makes any kind of sense, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, but enough about that. I want to go talk about the lights now. (laughs) Um, which were wonderful. Um, I really felt that the lighting complemented the set and making the space feel huge yet secluded. Mm-hmm. Um, the use of shadows on the sides almost, but then really lighting the center and then getting darker as we got away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That patio scene with the hanging lights, the party scene. Mm-hmm.
0: I also loved the way that they were able to make like intimis- intimate moments, like when Rita is helping Valentina get into... Valentina.
1: I was just about to say, I love that they were able to like light the individual rooms for these moments, these scenes. But then we got to see what was happening elsewhere because the lighting would be like dim, almost shadow-like, but just dim enough that we could see what was happening. In right, the room. that it was
0: that there was motion happening in the house while these intimate moments were taking place. So
1: we got to see Jonathan, Miranda slash Miranda, Mm -hmm. like sitting in the room, unpacking, having those second thoughts about do I really, should I be here? Do I want to do this? Or Bessie just like, I'm so... In fact, if I remember right, Bessie, when we start the show, is already there and already like changed and ready to go. Couldn't wait any longer. Like, start of the show, hi. You know what I mean? I don't think we ever saw that actor not in female impersonation mode. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, to see everybody else arrive and they take the room and they're changing and they're getting ready and they're getting their makeup on. You know what I mean? Like, that was fun to see but like you said, to see this intimate moment between Rita and Valentina as they're getting ready. She's putting his wig on. Her Mm -hmm. wig on, excuse me. Mm -hmm. You know, and all that but we still get to see that motion. We get to see the phone call that Charlotte's making in the other room Mm -hmm. when it's dim. It... It allowed us to kind of peek behind the curtain while we're still seeing all the fun action. Mm-hmm. That dual side-by-side camera. So I loved that. Uh, felt like we were spying. Because mm-hmm. it's the 60s, we're spying. <laughs> um, and I think that's part of the next box, which is the direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved everything about the direction, but you know who was the director? It's Joe Mantello. I love, I always love... Joe Mantello's direction.
0: Mm-hmm. I always have,
1: and I think I always will. I mean, what have we seen of his up to this point? Wicked? Next uh, the Normal it. Heart? I don't know if he directed that, actually. I think he just starred in it. I, I can't think off the top of my head all of what he's directed that we've seen. But I know we've seen a lot of his work, and I just love it when it has his fingerprints on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's so good. He has just this ability... I don't know. Just,
0: he creates an entire world.
1: It's like what Diane Paulus can do, mm-hmm. where she takes works and put on, puts it on its head. Joe Mantello has the ability to really bring a story to life, reach out the stage, and just like hold your hand and keep you engaged and pull you in and pull you in and pull you in. Or right when you get to the lip of the stage, just let you go and be like, yep, yeah, that's the story. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like It just entices you. Mm-hmm. The pacing and the swells were perfect. It felt like an ocean. Yes. Where we started kind of calm, but you could feel a little bit of uneasiness in the waves. And then the waves got a little bit bigger. And a little bit bigger. And then Charlotte arrived. And that party, though, was fun. And you got wrapped up in the party. And then you could feel uneasiness. And then the the little meeting happened. And then you really felt the waves crash. And then the judge has the heart attack. And you felt everything just fall apart. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It built up and to have that rise where you're like, hope, 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 or like tension, tension, and then whoosh to be let go. That's such an incredible feeling in a show. It's like a roller coaster. It really When people say this was a roller coaster of a show, like to really have that feeling of being brought up and then dropped down is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's so thrilling. I didn't see the twist with the heart attack at the end coming. Um, which, you know, forced the judge's hand with his daughter. He was taken to the hospital in his clothes. He couldn't change. And that's how his daughter found out. And then she found out about this place and now the secret's out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I I was like, oh no. Oh no, you know? Um, And though... Most of the story is told like sitting around and chatting. It felt very intense and high energy, which is not and that's the danger in my opinion about a lot of plays when they're just like sitting around and chatting like we are around a table, you know. It can be very like, well, we're having a conversation and da, da,
0: da. right, where's the where's the action going to happen?
1: Right, where this felt very when they were being catty at each other and da, 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 and you're laughing and you're feeling the just the you're just feeling the, the bonds that they have, you know the closeness that they have and, and and it keeps you it makes you want to just like pull up a chair and really hear everything that they want to they want to tell you these These people have stories that you want to hear that's a testament to the direction and make sure that there is still something behind even though there's not physical action happening that there's still something behind that language that's happening
0: mm-hmm. The show has had several notable performers, including Reed Brindley, John Colum, Gabriel Ebert, Lisa Emery, Tom McGowan, Patrick Page, Larry Pine, Nick Westrate, Mayor Winningham.
1: talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Theatrical impact. I would start by saying it brought the story of a little known but important event and part of LGBTQ plus, uh, movement and history to the stage. I mean how many people knew about this place or about this this thing. I think a lot of people knew about this crazy law about having to wear you know, you had to have at least a certain number of garments on uh, by law because of Stonewall, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I don't think a lot of people knew about kind of like these places up in the Catskills where people could escape to to be. hmm You know? Um, so I, I, I think that's very important. And I don't think a lot of people knew that even back in the 60s, there were people starting to organize for gay liberation, gay rights on this level.
0: Oh, yeah. They, the, the 50s really brought about this idea of creating these clubs and fraternities and frats that could be extended. It wasn't just a collegiate thing. It was something that anyone could do. These are the, the societies, the groups, you know. Yes. Um, and so people were like, you know what, yeah, let's make one of these because if we make a group, we're stronger and it's, it's easier for us to lobby for our interests.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think it also helps show the origins of drag S- and normalize it. And, and here, now, now hold on, here, I, I know where you're going with this because drag has been around for the longest time, vaudeville and all of that, and I don't want to take away from that, but what I mean by origins of drag... I mean female impersonation end of it. So not the art, artistic end of it.
0: I I completely disagree with you. Because, and this play helped me see the difference between what is drag and what is presentation. Because, present like, so drag is a performance for people. But gender is also a performance for people. For people, but so the difference is you have one that's um, that's a performance with a like an audience in mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The other is a performance on how you basically how you show yourself to the world. Mm-hmm. And so this was very much about drag, as in a presentation to the world as an individual, not in a performance with that's, an audience that's what i mean
1: i think that's yeah. what i'm trying to get at mm-hmm. i think this showed the origin, of that
0: yes and so the 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 verbiage that has kind of been adopted by the community
1: and, and correct us if we're wrong
0: but drag has to do with more the art form and the performance as it means to a social commentary whereas um gender identity and gender presentation is what we'd call this because it has to do with um, how you're wanting to present yourself to the world. And this is where the lines kind of started to get fuzzy because you had some of these men who were like, okay, I am, I am this persona. Like I am Valentina and I am my other person and we both exist but we are two separate people mm-hmm. and then you had um you know someone who was more like Gloria who was embodying this person to cause a rise and to create this like reaction um and so i think it's important that we more talk about it as gender presentation rather than drag because this wasn't drag as we define it today Mm -hmm. it was gender presentation
1: Mm
0: -hmm. so i think that this is an important so the theatrical impact is more that this show helped draw a line and defined define the difference between what is drag and what is gender presentation
1: okay that's what i was trying to get at (laughs) um also i'd say it's another great work by harvey firestein the legend mm-hmm. himself. And it's a, another important work of LGBTQ plus theater. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, I'm i actually going to make this segue because I think that in history, the best platform that we've had to have a written history of LGBTQ plus um, is plays and theater. Yes. So the theatrical impact is the social impact because... We can hide it, behind the mask well,
1: of a show and we can... But,
0: but the shows wrote it down to make yeah. it historical because there was no other... There hasn't really been a good format up until recently with a digital age of a written anthology of the history that has happened in LGBTQ right um society and so these plays are our history books and so that is our societal impact our plays like this
1: right it's hard to get this these stories when they were so dangerous and so controversial i mean and it doesn't just apply to lgbtq plus i mean this happened with with race with religion with other things that could be considered so dangerous there has to be a way to to find these stories and theater has always been that way where If anybody was like, well, wait a minute, it's like, it's just a story. I just wrote it as a play. It has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. real life. And then we start, when historians and theater historians start to sift through, they go, actually, this really was based on a true story. It wasn't allowed to be known as a true story because of this, that, and the other.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And And so... so the, so, the sh- the
1: going sh- on a societal impact, like you'd said, this educated the audience about another important piece of LGBTQ and, and it's another, history. And
0: it's another written and published artifact of history now. Because it was published and produced, it is now a piece of history. Yes. Because we all know that history is made by those who write it down. And so the fact that it's written down and published means that it now exists as history. And so that's one of the most important things about this play: is it is, it is solidified in history.
1: Yes. It also showcased the struggle of the gay community, and even those who just wanted to dress, in uh, who wanted to be female presenting, mm-hmm. who wanted to, to um, what I don't know. I can't remember the verbiage now. We've been talking so long. Present. Female, Gender? Just, just they just wanted a female person.
0: They wanted to present as female.
1: They wanted to present as female. They did not. It's not drag. Just wanted to present as female. You know, and so it showed that struggle mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And it, I, and I'm gonna tie this to, and I will say I think it is very true. It brought a different audience to the theater because at this time it very popular still today. RuPaul's Drag Race. When you have a show with men putting on dresses, men in what society perceives as drag, audiences will go see it. And I think what was great about it is if there were audience members who maybe were like, oh, there's a show with men in drag, and they go and see it, it's not. That, it really isn't about that, but they get this interesting story about it, and then they leave and go, huh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice when a, when a show, I hate to say, traps you that way. But if that's how we're going to get
0: people to, like, see some of this stuff, like, well, cool. And I, I also think, to go as far as to say that, um, you know, if this show wasn't about the spectacle of men dressing as women. No. It was... And, and so, in so many ways, you... It, it changed your experience in the audience because so often when we see that a show is going to have drag queens or, you know, drag presenters or there's going to be men in dresses, it is that that lure of the spectacle. And right. this took the spectacle out of it and added the humanity.
1: Yes. So it's asked the big question, is the show still relevant? I think it's a very prominent and profound work that speaks to a lot of people about not only the danger of hiding one's true self, but also the importance of standing together and standing up to a society who refuses to accept someone for who they are. So I would say, yes, it is relevant. And I'd be interested to see what a revival looks like. Um... I'd be very interested to see what a revival looks like. It is also
0: perfect for regional
1: houses as well. I feel like.
0: So I'm gonna say that this show is relevant as a historical piece that helps um, helps define how we present um, gender. So I think that this show is relevant because it's a historical piece. I think that it is a show that needs to be done um, in university programs that have, um, you know, as a a combination between the theater groups and gender studies because I think that it's a good piece to help see how we've developed into the language we use now Mm. um, as well as the way that we view Um, gender fluidity. Mm -hmm. I think that this is great for regional houses. I mean, I would love to say it's great for community theaters, but it's not going to be something that, unless you live in a very progressive area, it's not going to be successful, unfortunately. Um, But I think as, as a historical piece, this show is relevant and should be performed. Do I think it should be done on Broadway? No, because I think that as a historical piece, it's great but I don't think that it needs to be on a Broadway stage. See, I disagree. Yeah.
1: I think I would like to see what I'd like to see what a revival looks like. I'd like to see what they maybe do with some gender, gender casting. Uh, again, Harvey Fierstein's still around. What can we do with it? Could we add a transgender actor to it and really change things up? I know it's based on history. I know that what if like what what happens if you cast the role of of jonathan slash miranda as a transgender performer or gabriel as a transgender performer what conversation do we start then
0: Mm -hmm. no i think that that would be interesting but i just don't think that that's where we're at on broadway yet i would love to see it in a regional house
1: i i want to see what smarter minds than me could come up with i'd be i'd just be interested so but i think with the message and i think it's welcome on broadway i But it's got to be, it has to be put through a different lens is my thing. It can't be the same lens. You have to tweak it and, and change the color of it so that we see it differently. The other thing I'll throw out there is if you change the race, you get a different message as well.
0: But you'd, you'd want to double check just because of...
1: Historical accuracy. No, well,
0: I- not, not, not historical accuracy, historical impact. Because part of the reason why this show works as it does is the othering that is created. And part of what that is, is because it is all white men. And these white men think that they're protected somehow. Hmm. Because they're white. And so oh. I think that that's an important part of their character development and that's what makes them feel, that's part of the, the plot raising points mm-hmm. because they're not being othered in any other way mm-hmm. other than this. So that's why they have the gall or as we would call it the caucasity to think that they deserve to be treated better.
1: That's a good point.
0: So I think that that's, you would have to look at the script that way and see which of those characters doesn't Fall into that category. So,
1: how much are we willing to change the script, kind of thing? <laughs> well,
0: not even just to change well, the script. Well, no, no, because it
1: would be changing the script, and and, and what what are we willing to, to take or leave? Really? Because again, it is a historical script, but you're, I think you're absolutely right with all of that, and 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 you know, what do we? It is the '60s, so does Charlotte's point and message still come across true to everyone? Would she still want to bring everybody
0: along? Exactly, because you there is that level of cakasit. Ca- How does the judge cacassi- really feel about happening? being
1: with all of these people, kind of thing? Exactly.
0: Yeah. So there is those because I mean, once again, it is it is a matrix of domination. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of different layers in that, and so I think that that's part of the reason why it's a this, croissant. Yeah, <laughs> that's why this show works as it does is because everyone in it has that level of protection for being white. <laughs> Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show.
1: We had the good fortune of getting to see the show once back in 2014. And I don't know, did we like it? I, I mean, what, what, what was written up to be a short episode <laughs> has gone on for quite some time. Clearly, we love the show.
0: Well, and for me, this show really opened my mind to some of these LGBTQ plus um, ideas that I didn't really fully grasp. And it really made me go, oh, I really do want to understand this more and open my mind to wanting to learn more about it.
1: Um, like I said, this this is when in my life the door swung open to LGBTQ plus history, and I just was like, wow.
0: Well, and so I, I was
1: amazed and taken aback by the story.
0: And I saw this play after I had taken my. Uh, in college, we had a queer theater course, and our um, professor, Jesse Portillo, presented this idea of theater being the written history of um, LGBTQ. Yes. And so, after having learned that scope of things and watching this show, it really made me understand the world differently mm-hmm. and understood how shows like this are important to that history. Yes. And so um, I would say for me, this show was definitely um, mind-changing, like life-changing for those reasons.
1: And I also really, I remember meeting the cast afterwards. And like I said, this was an incredible cast, Um, just... If you go to playbill.com, go to the vault, you look up the cast of Casa Casa Valentina, and you look who was in it, like we mentioned, Reed Burney, who went on to be in numerous shows. John Cullum was in To Kill a Mockingbird. Gabriel Ebert, I believe he was in Matilda, if I'm mm. right. I know Tom McGowan was in like She Loves Me, among other things. Patrick Page, who was mm. Valentina, you know, obviously Spider-Man, but
0: Hades, Hades Town.
1: Town. You know, they, there's these top-notch performers were in the show and getting to meet all of these performers. Um, oh, one of my personal favorites, Mare Winningham, mm-hmm. who played Rita. Mm-hmm. Meeting all these top performers who gave just this incredible...
0: Well, show
1: and, to us and I was like uh, amazing and they of course sent their playbill got a lovely picture mm-hmm. um, well, it was incredible
0: the The way that Mare and Patrick worked together to create these the characters of Rita and Valentina I just enjoyed that their presentation of it so much because I it was, I was a
1: relationship way ahead of its time
0: yes because you had you had Mare's character, Rita, who really understood that Valentina was two separate people, and there was the man she married, and then there was Valentina. Yeah. And the fact that she was accepting and...
1: She was she was comfortable in what Valentina and her husband, George, I think it was, were. Yes. She she was accepting and loving it, where most women would be like, oh, so you're... You're queer, clearly. And she's like, no, I understand what it... Now, she comes... Her character comes from a background of being a, a, a um, makeup and wig person, hair person. Mm-hmm. She's a cosmetologist, if you will, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, it, it was. It was such a progressive relationship way ahead of its time. And, and,
0: and just the two of them together, I couldn't think of a more, like, perfect pairing to play that out.
1: And like I said, all of the cast was just so lovely after the show, so lovely, and they were phenomenal. And speaking of phenomenal things, theater is back, and we really hope you can join us at a show soon.
0: I hope you'll be able to catch Casa Valentina at a theater near you sometime soon.
1: We also want to remind you that you can now become a patron and a producer of the show by getting your backstage pass.
0: Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stage whisper pod.
1: So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And
0: I'm Hope Bird.
1: Reminding you to turn off your cell phones.
0: Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper.
1: Thank you. If you like what
0: you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You
1: can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
0: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
1: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, U.S. Army Blues, The Good Louds, Mela, and Billy Murray